Morning. Join with me in prayer, will you? Father, we thank you that we can come together and worship you as the body of Christ here in Janesville. We pray that we would uh, be attentive to what your word has to say to us now. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have full sway in our hearts. Focus us on your word. Help us to receive it with gladness. Help us to apply it in our lives. Father, we want to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. So I pray, Father, would you just minister to us through your word, equip us, make us better instruments in your hand as we go from here to live it out for your honor and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be starting the book of First or Second Timothy today. We're going to be looking at that for a while. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited to be picking up, in a sense, where we left off several weeks ago at the end of 1 Timothy. Paul comes back probably uh, two years or so later to write a second letter to Timothy. And uh, I'm glad to be looking at that with you. You know what this is? This is a, a baton. It's used in relay races. It's a lightweight thing. In uh, the Olympics, it is required that a baton weigh at least 50 grams. That is less than two ounces. It's very light. It's also required that it be between 28 and 30 centimeters. It's just uh, under a foot long. And uh, it is passed from one runner to another. How many of you uh, watched at least some of the Summer Olympics in Tokyo this past summer? There's some mighty good competition there in those Summer Olympics. USA did quite well. USA won 113 medals, 39 of them gold, 41 silver, 33 bronze. But one of the medals it didn't win was in the men's 4 by 100 relay. We lost because of a bad handoff. Bad things can happen when two of the fastest human beings on the planet are running at full speed trying to hand off a baton with the one in front unable to look behind him to see exactly where that baton is. How big a problem is it? Since 1988, our men in this event have had nearly as many disqualifications as medals. 11 disqualifications, 12 medals. And all but two of those disqualifications were for bad handoffs. The baton dropped. The handoff is absolutely crucial. Second Timothy shows us Paul facing a handoff of his own. Paul is 60 years old as he writes this letter to Timothy. 
And yet, if you were to stand him up here on the platform next to me, I think we'd pretty well be unanimous in our guess that he is the older man of the two of us. He's got some really hard miles on him. He's been serving Christ now, running his race for 30 years, running it faithfully and well, despite great opposition. Along the way, Paul has experienced imprisonments, whippings, beatings, shipwrecks, cold, and hunger. And now, as he writes this letter, he's in prison in Rome for the last time, awaiting his execution. Paul is aware of something that only the wise are aware of. Paul's been aware of it all along. It's been part of his strategy for these 30 years that he's been running his race. Paul is aware that he's not the only runner. He's not only aware of that, he's been investing in a cadre of individuals who will run their own leg of the race and pass the baton along to the next runner until that baton has finally come down to us. The Christian faith is passed like a baton in a relay race. In the 4 by 100 relay, there is what they call a changeover box. It's a transfer zone that starts 10 meters before the beginning of the next leg and continues 10 meters past that beginning. So 20 meters of space during which two people running at full speed have to hand that baton from one to the other. It's a critical zone. Execute it well, and you set your team up for victory. But if you fail to make the handoff, you and your team are disqualified. Second Timothy is, is sort of a changeover box, if you will. Here we see Paul straining to finish well, careful to hand the baton securely to the next runner. He knows the next runner well. He led him to Christ. He's trained with him. Uh, Paul led Timothy to Christ maybe 20 years earlier when Timothy was probably a teenager. Paul came to his town, Lystra, on his first missionary journey, Acts chapter 14. And it was there in Lystra that an angry crowd of Jews caught up with him. They stoned him, they dragged him out of the city, and they left him for dead. Paul survived. He went back into the city of Lystra. How's that for guts? And continued to minister there. On his second missionary journey, a couple years later, Paul came back to Lystra, this town that, where he was stoned, learned of Timothy's faith in Christ, maybe having come to Christ at his first trip to Lystra, learned of Timothy's reputation, and then he took Timothy to be with him from that point forward. Timothy would understudy Paul for the next 20 years, serving as Paul's co-author of five New Testament letters. 
He would serve as pastor of the church at Ephesus. He would serve as Paul's ambassador to the church in Corinth. And now, at the end of Paul's race, he's handing the baton to Timothy. We see some features of this baton pass in the opening few verses of 2 Timothy. Take a look with me at verses 1 through 4. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Some features of this baton pass. First, we see Paul reminding Timothy of their shared experiences. In verse 2, he calls Timothy, my beloved son, my beloved child. Paul was his spiritual father. Not only because he led him to Christ, but also because he discipled him. He taught him, he trained him, he poured his life into him. It was a father-son relationship. And Paul's words there would remind Timothy of this 20-year mentorship that was between them. Not only does he remind Timothy of their shared experiences, he affirms Timothy as well. This phrase, my beloved child, not only reminds Timothy of all they've been through together, but it also lets Timothy know what he means to Paul. What a great thing to have someone who will not only show you what to do, but who also cares enough not to assume that you know how he feels about you. Paul let him know. It's like Paul would give him some counsel on how to handle false teachers and then say, by the way, I love you, you know. You're my beloved child. It's a great affirmation. He tells him he's longing to see him, remembering their tearful goodbye, probably when Paul was arrested and taken to Rome. He tells him that seeing him again will fill him with great joy. It's a wonderful affirmation, a wonderful reminder of a great relationship. And then Paul tells him that he prays for him constantly, night and day. In those times when they're not able to be together, Timothy can know that Paul is praying for him. It's a great thing to be reminded of. Every now and then I'll get a text or an email from somebody that, that says, I'm praying for you. I can't tell you what a difference that makes in my life. Tell the people that you're praying for, that you're praying for, them. remind them of that. Paul did that for Timothy. It's a great relationship. Two runners, each committed to giving their all, training together, and now coming to the moment when one will finish his leg of the race and finally pass the baton on to the other. And with that pass, Paul will be done. 
And Timothy will take over. That baton pass is needed in each generation of believers. Christianity dies with us if we don't pass the baton along. Each generation needs runners who will prepare the next generation to run with the gospel. And each generation needs runners who will step up and receive that baton and faithfully run their own leg of the race. Part of what makes River Hills unique is a core value that reflects that priority. It says this, we believe that parents are the best and primary teachers of spiritual truth to their children. We believe children become faith-filled adults by being with faith-filled adults. So children are included in things around here, including the worship service. More than I have seen in any church I've been in. It took me a while to get used to it. I remember the first time I preached at River Hills. It was over at the middle school. And Pastor John reminded me, there will be children in the service with us. And I said, oh, do I need to put some more illustrations in this sermon? He goes, no, let me take notes. And they were. It's been that way ever since. It's a distinctive of River Hills. We want faith-filled adults to be in contact with our children, believing that that's a part of the intergenerational relay race. Paul speaks of that intergenerational handoff in Titus chapter 2, especially with regard to older women training younger women. It's this intergenerational thing. When our girls uh, were growing up, Tina and I have two daughters, when they were growing up, um, we had friends and relatives who also into their, spoke into their lives. When I was in seminary, we lived pretty near to Tina's sister, Kathy, just a few miles away. And every now and then, Kathy would take one of our daughters for the day. And they do fun things together. They would hang out. They would bake cookies. They would do all sorts of fun things. And along the way, Kathy would impart lessons to our daughters that we were imparting to them ourselves, but they were hearing for the first time from Auntie Kathy, right? Were we upset that, that Kathy was the one they were hearing these, from, these, these things from? Not at all. We were glad that she was saying the same things we were saying that she was cool when we were terribly uncool, and that our kids would listen to her in times when they weren't particularly interested in listening to us. It's a wonderful thing. Parents, teach spiritual truth to your children, but don't go it alone. Surround them with other faith-filled adults who can reinforce that message. Say the same thing that you're saying in order that your kids might hear it for the first time. So Paul and Timothy are in the changeover box, both running, both reaching. Paul reaching forward with the baton in hand, Timothy reaching back to receive it. But let's back up just a little bit because God has orchestrated this changeover box moment. I'd like for us just to take a look at how it was he 
orchestrated that. Because we see in these verses the spiritual heritage that Paul has, the spiritual heritage that Timothy has, and we see those two heritages merging as Timothy gets ready to take the baton and run with it. Paul's spiritual heritage we see in verse 3. He says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Paul says, I serve God. I thank God whom I serve. He serves God. What a great epitaph that would be for our tombstone. He served God. She served God. I don't know of many things that could be said better than that. And not only does he serve God, he comes from a long line of people who serve God. His ancestors, his forefathers, his forebears, they served God as well. And of all the ways he could have described the service to God, he says that he and his ancestors served God with a clear conscience. Paul mentions conscience four times in First and Second Timothy. He mentioned it three times in First Timothy, and he'll mention it just this one time in Second Timothy. Each time the word conscience is used, uh, it's preceded by an adjective. Uh, the first two times that adjective is good. The second two times the, that adjective is clear. It's a good conscience, or it's a clear conscience. The idea is that you want to be acting according to your conscience. You want to be acting in harmony with what you believe is right. But even when you are, you could be wrong. Paul was persecuting the church with a clear conscience, convinced he was doing God's will in trying to stamp out Christianity. This, uh, in John chapter 16, verse 2, we, we find Jesus saying something that I, I think is at least partially fulfilled in the life of the Apostle Paul. Jesus says in John 16, verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. Paul did those things. Those things are happening yet today in some parts of the world. Today we recognize the worldwide uh, day of prayer for the persecuted church. And there are places in the world today, particularly in the Middle East, when people in the name of God are killing Christians. And Paul did that in his day. And it took a face-to-face -face encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus to show him that his conscience, clear as it was, was wrong. Paul changed his whole belief structure that day, and his conscience changed along with it. And Paul would continue to serve God with a clear conscience, but it was one now that was submitted to Christ. That's Paul's spiritual heritage, wholehearted service to God. We see Timothy's spiritual heritage in verse 5. Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois 
and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So Grandma Lois and Mom Eunice were godly Jewish women who loved God's word and wanted to share that with their son, their grandson. Timothy's dad didn't share that same heritage. We find in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, that Timothy's dad was a Gentile, a pagan. That's really all we know about him. I wonder what Grandma Lois thought when her daughter Eunice went and married a pagan. Just kind of wonder. It's one of those questions I'll want to ask when I get to heaven. It seems grandma and mom raised Timothy to know and honor God's word. The Old Testament scriptures. In 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul reminds Timothy that from childhood, Timothy was acquainted with the sacred writings. At grandma's knee, at mom's knee, he learned to honor and love God's word. And when Grandma and mom became believers. Timothy found Christ as well. And it seems from what little we know about Timothy's father that he never did. Instead, Paul would become his spiritual father. So verse 3, Paul's heritage. Verse 5, Timothy's heritage. And in verse 6, we see those two coming together. The heritages merge. Look at verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. It's in you, Timothy. And I was a part of that. I got to lay hands on you. What's it mean that Paul laid his hands on Timothy? Well, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 14, it mentions a time when the elders, probably of the church in Lystra, laid their hands on Timothy. And you put that together with these verses at the beginning of 2 Timothy, and I think what you get is a picture of a young man being commissioned for service to the Lord. The elders gather around him and lay hands on him and pray over him, just like they did in Antioch when Paul and Barnabas were set aside for missionary service. Through the laying on of hands, They are confirmed in their giftedness and commissioned to serve. I believe Timothy received uh, the the office of of pastor-teacher that we saw in the Ephesians 4 reading a little earlier in the service. And Paul and the elders commissioned him through prayer and the laying on of hands. So we see a faithful Uh, service, uh, um, a a heritage of faithful service to God in the Apostle Paul. We see a heritage of a solid foundation in the scriptures in Timothy. And we see those two come together when Timothy is commissioned for ministry. And now, verses 6 and 7, we see Timothy taking the baton and running with it. Paul says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Timothy 
takes the baton and runs. So what happens when the baton pass is complete? The next runner takes the baton and takes off, running on fresh legs, the race that was set before him. And Paul counsels him in these verses to fan his gift into flame. The gift that was conferred on him at his commissioning, this this glowing coal taken from the altar, fan it, stoke it until it is a blazing fire. At the end of Paul's first letter to Timothy, he says, But as for you, man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. All of that, an encouragement to fan into flame the gift that was given to him. Paul knows Timothy well. He knows that he's shy. He knows that he's kind of sickly. He knows that he lacks self-confidence. But he reminds Timothy that it's not about his natural abilities. He reminds Timothy that it's about what God can do in a life that's surrendered to him. There's, There's plenty of challenge around us all that could discourage us if we made it our focus. But instead, we focus on the race before us and we run it with confidence because God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and self-control. Run with that. What happens when a runner runs his leg of the race full out? That runner can cross the finish line knowing he or she has given it their all. I want to do that. I want to do that. And yet there is so much to overcome. The author of Hebrews tells us to lay aside every weight. All these things that would slow us down, hold us back. Lay aside the sin that clings so closely. And run with endurance the race that is set before us. And that, that laying aside and, and pressing on in the race is a constant thing. That's why the Christian life is described as a race. It's not just a decision. We're told to fight the good fight, not just make the good decision. I want to run well. But I also need to recognize I'm not the only runner. I need to be part of equipping another generation of runners for their leg of the race. Need to enter the changeover box and and hand them the baton. When that happens, the gospel goes forward in an uninterrupted line of runners that goes all the way back to the Apostle Paul and reaches forward to us today. Runners who gave it their best, and handed that gospel off to those who would follow. We need to run our leg of the race well, and then to make the handoff that will equip those who will follow us. 43.03, 36.84, 6.19. You know what those numbers are? 
the world record for the 400-meter dash is 43.03 seconds. That's blazing fast. It would take me two and a half or three minutes to run a quarter mile, I'm sure. 43.03 seconds. An individual runner. 36.84 is the world's record for the 4 by 100 relay. A difference of 6.19 seconds. What's that tell you? What's that tell you? A relay is more effective than a dash. If my math is right, that's 14% faster than an individual can run it alone. We need to run our race faithfully, but we need to recognize that it's just one leg of the journey. It's one leg of the race. There's another runner that we need to hand the baton off to. It's not just a matter of an individual running to the point of exhaustion. It's a matter of equipping the next runners. And for them, it's a matter of entering that changeover box and taking the baton so they can run with it as well. Faith-filled adults of River Hills, are you equipping the next runner? Are you investing in the next generation of runners? Are you pouring your life into them? They need you. Young people, are you entering the changeover box, ready to receive that baton and run with it yourself with all your might? We're not running our race alone. It's not a dash. It's a relay. Who's your Paul? Who are you tapping into for his or her experience and maturity? Who is the one who is coaching you as you run? Who's your Timothy? Who's the one you're pouring into? The one you can share your experience with? The one you can study God's word with? The one you can share your experience with? The one you can teach how to apply God's word? The one you can pick up when he falls and set him on his feet again and cheer him on as he runs? I just want to end with a simple challenge. Identify your Paul. Do you have one? Get one. Tap into him. Tap into her. If you've already got one, thank him. Thank her for pouring into your life. And identify your Timothy. Do you have one? Get one. Pour into him. Because it's not a dash, it's a relay. We need to run our leg well, but we also need to equip the next runners. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for the example of Paul and Timothy. Thank you that they were faithful in their part of the race. Thank you that they each in turn handed the baton on to another generation, and we are here because of it. And Father, even as we pray 
for our brothers and sisters around the world who are persecuted for the gospel. And we ask that you would help them to be faithful even to death. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful in our part of the race. Help us to equip another generation of runners. And I pray, Lord, that the gospel, this good news of a Savior who has come, would by our effort, by our faithfulness, reach many, that many would come to know the Savior because of what's happening here at River Hills. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to equip the runners who are yet to come so that we might run faithfully for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.